think I'm glad I'm here. Okay. So, everybody good? Everybody present? Everybody welcome? My name is Bailey Cantrell. Um, if we've met before, hello, welcome. If I haven't, hello, welcome. Um, so in the realm of Greek mythology, there are a lot of heroes. And as it follows, there are also a large number of monsters and bad guys. First said heroes to fend off. Um, and possibly the biggest baddie of them all was this guy named Typhon. He was the god of chaos and violent winds. He's up there. This is an uh, ancient Greek piece of pottery. Um, he's depicted as having snakes for feet, as having a hundred fire-breathing dragon heads coming out of his back. He could create ear-splitting noises out of thin air. He had super strength beyond anything imaginable. He left a path of destruction everywhere he went, undoing creation wherever he could. He was the bane of the Greco-Roman pantheon. So imagine for a moment what the exact opposite of a typhon might be like. Instead of inciting noise and chaos, he might call for peace. Instead of leaving a trail of destruction in his wake, there would be a trail of restored creation. Instead of death, he would bring life. And instead of despair, hope. He might end up looking a lot like Jesus. And today we're going to look at the story of some folks who have gotten caught up in the wake of the restored creation that Jesus brings. So um, before we jump in to read our scripture, we're going to look at our characters today. If you want to go to the next slide, Roland. So if my laser pointer will work. Look, look. So we've got... Jairus here. I always try to pronounce his name Jarius, but it's Jairus. So if I mess up, there's grace. Um, so Jairus was a synagogue leader. Um, he was financially well off. He was probably the guy that was over the treasury of the local chapter of the synagogue. Um, he was probably the fellow who, who was in charge of who spoke, what they said. Um, he was a man of good reputation, um, high status in the community, We've got the bleeding woman over here. Um, she was socially dislocated. So this woman, a lot of scholars think that what was going on with her, the scriptures say she has um, an issue or discharge of blood. A lot of scholars think that when she, was, when she was a kid, she had started her period and then just never stopped. So this thing that was supposed to bring life, this was exci an exciting thing, her becoming a woman, Suddenly, a week later, and two weeks later, and a month later, and years later, this thing was, that was supposed to bring life was instead bringing death and isolation. She seemingly had no family that was willing to step up and help. She had spent all of her money on doctors. She couldn't go in the temple and worship because her condition made her unclean, so she couldn't even connect with God at the place where God was. We've got the disciples here. We've got the crowds back there. And then we've got Jairus' daughter here. So, with that in mind, let's read our scripture for the day. Today we're going to be looking at Matthew, Mark, sorry, Mark 5, 21 through 43. And it says, When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd had gathered around them, and he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came up, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He asked him urgently, My little daughter is near death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now a woman who was there who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years, she had endured a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. 
When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she kept saying, if I only touch his clothes, I will be healed. At once the bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Jesus knew at once that power had gone out of him. He turned to the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you, you see the crowd pressing it around you, and you say, who touched me? Hmm. But he looked around to see who had done it. Then the woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, every place this story is told in scripture, it's told in the same way, with this kind of interruption in the middle. So Jairus pleads with Jesus to come and help his little daughter. This is urgent. This is, this is a time is of the essence thing. Jairus is, is leading the way. They're fighting through the crowds. This woman comes up through the crowd. She has no intention of interrupting this mission. She just wants to touch the hem of Jesus' robes and get out of there. But Jesus stops. He turns around. He's the one who sidelines the mission. This woman comes forward and tells her whole story. And you can almost feel the tension building in the narrative. Like, Jesus, come on. Like, we know you love the poor, but this is urgent. We're running out of time. This woman has waited 12 years. Surely she can wait a little bit longer. Jairus' daughter is literally at the point of death. And you said you would come, please, Jesus, just, just hurry up. And then we read on, and it says, while he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house, saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? Dang. But then the narrative picks up again. It says, Jesus, paying no attention to what was said, he told the synagogue leader, do not be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue leader, where they saw noisy confusion and people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, he said to them, why are you distressed and weeping? This child is not dead, but asleep. Um, not dead, but asleep. Uh, asleep was a euphemism in Jewish culture back then um, to talk about someone that was dead. So it's like Jesus was saying, she's not dead. She's just passed away. Um, and they began making fun of him. But he forced them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and his own companions and went into the room where the child was. Then, gently taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talithikoam, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And the girl got up at once and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. They were completely astonished at this, and he gave strict orders that no one should know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. So there are a lot of elements to the story. We could talk about miracles and hope and faith, trusting in the promises of God, the authority that Jesus has over death. Um, and I think we might end up touching on all of those things today. Um, and to do that, we're going to laser focus in on one specific detail. And that is at the moment where the woman touches the hem of Jesus' garment. <clears throat> so let's unpack that a little bit. On the surface, it might seem that this woman is just reaching out, trying to subtly touch this thing that is in close proximity to Jesus. Maybe some of his miracle juju has soaked into his clothes from him. So if she can just touch his clothes, that would be enough to heal her. That would do the trick. But as with so much of scripture, if we peel back a couple of layers, there's a lot more at play than what a surface reading would suggest. So this photograph coming up is of a Jewish rabbi from the late 18, early 1900s. And so this thing he's wearing here is called a tallit. Um, it's essentially a prayer shawl, but it also served as a symbol of, of a tabernacle, um, the place where God's presence dwelt among the Israelites. 
I mean, it's probably something really similar to what Jesus would have been wearing during his day. These things here, the tassels down there, are called tzitzit. Um, let's see, where's my place? And the place where they all connect is called a kanaf. Look at all those hard-to-say words. Um, so keep that image in mind. They all have their origin in Numbers 15, 37 through 41, which says this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the Israelites and tell them to make tassels for themselves on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and put a blue thread on the tassel of the corners. You must, <clears throat> you must have this tassel so that you may look at it and remember all the commandments that the, of the Lord and obey them so that you do not follow after your own heart and your own eyes that lead you to unfaithfulness. Thus you will remember and obey all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So I'm a hands-on learner. So in preparation for this lesson, I made a tassel, a tzitzit. Um, essentially, this is a, it was like making a, a holy friendship bracelet. But <laughs> so Jewish men were commanded to wear these. Um, and I can just imagine them going throughout their day and, and just running it through their fingers, fiddling with it absentmindedly. Um, and it would also almost kind of serve the purpose of like a Catholic rosary bead necklace would today, um, reminding them that, yes, God is faithful. Yes, his commandments are good. He will hold to his promises. He saved us out of Egypt. He has chosen us to be his people, and he will not abandon us. Every day, all the time, this would be in their sight. They would acknowledge these truths about God. The word that describes these tassels the word that describes where these tassels were connected to the garment, like I said earlier, is called the kanap, this part right here, this little corner. <clears throat> and it can also be translated as the word wing. Um, it's the word the poet uses in Psalm 61 where, where he says, let me dwell in your tent forever, let me take shelter, in the re let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Um, it's also the word used in Malachi 2.4, which says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves loosed from their stalls. Um, and, in Luke, er, and in Ruth 2.12, um, where Boaz, Boaz says to Ruth, may the Lord reward you with your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Now throughout scripture, this word seemingly is used as a metaphor of God coming to his children to cover them and protect them is a very tender and fatherly image of God to his people. So, with those things in mind, let's zoom back out um, and re-engage with the story. So Jesus is pushing through the crowds. Jairus is leading the way. The woman pushes through and reaches for the tassels and all that it represents, not just this piece of fabric. She reaches for the tassel, believing beyond reason that God is good that he is faithful, that his promises aren't empty, that maybe there is actually healing in his wings. At the moment where faith compelled her to reach out and brush against Jesus' garment, she was caught up in the swath of restored creation. <clears throat> Jesus recognizes that power has gone out of him. He scans the crowd. And the word Mark uses here is um, translated to glare in other places. So it's like Jesus gives a stink eye to the crowd. And the woman comes forward, and, and she ends up telling her whole truth. 
the story of 12 years of suffering and of shame and isolation, and Jesus didn't flinch. He wasn't squeamish. He didn't shy away from her story. He didn't go anywhere. And he restored to her the dignity of being heard and listened to. This woman had been in isolation so long. You know, we talked in the teaching team this week about the idea of what if, <clears throat> what if the woman had a father like Jairus, a father who would, have <clears throat> who would have interceded on her behalf, and how she didn't have an earthly father like that, but Jesus stepped in and became that role for her, a father who would intercede, who would not only restore her to health, but would restore her to the identity of daughter, to cover her with his wings, to give her a place of refuge, that she is just as valuable as the daughter of the synagogue leader and that they both get new life. So what do you do with that? Um, you know, I've told you a feel-good story about how Jesus healed some folks. I've told you a lot of fun facts about ancient Jewish clothing. So, so now what? Um, in my own life, a version of this story played out when I was a freshman in college. Um, I was a hot mess that year, like a lot of people are their first year in college. Um, but my hot mess personally stemmed from a lot of unprocessed emotions. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> a lot of unprocessed emotions and events. Um, and those showed up in a lot of unhealthy ways. Um, so I was living this life of unhealthy coping mechanisms and trying to just survive. And also living this double life of trying to be the perfect Christian kid and being, being the good girl. Um, and part of being the perfect Christian college student was joining a community group with my old church. So that's what I did. Um, I, I started going. I was putting up the mask. I was volunteering to pray. I was doing all the right things and saying all the right things. Um, but internally, it felt like I was disintegrating. I was sad. I was alone. I was depressed. Um, and nobody knew. And there was one night where it was, a I don't know, a couple months into this discovery group. And one of the... One of the leaders gets up and says, okay, well, tonight we're going to be doing something a little bit different. You know, after our normal lesson, we're going to have a time of confession. So if anyone has anything they need to confess, oh, bless you, Alex. I'm going to take a sip of water. Perfect. So um, he said, if anyone has anything they need to confess, after our lesson is going to be the time to do that. And I immediately felt God pressing on me. He was like, Bailey? this is going to be your time to share. And I was like, no, it's not. This is definitely not my time to share. And it was a good 45, an hour-long conversation with God um, while we went through the lesson and while other people shared. Like, no, God, I cannot share. Like, to tell them about the shame that I feel, to tell them that I'm depressed, that, that this face of being the perfect Christian kid is not the reality for me. I couldn't do that. There were 50-year-old married men in this room. I couldn't tell them all of that was within me, they, they surely would judge me. And so when I couldn't avoid it any longer and everyone else had gone and everyone else had confessed their, their sins or stories or whatever, I raised my hand and I said, okay, I, I, do, I do have something to share. Um, and, I, and I shared my story. I, I shared how I was broken and hurting and alone and of, of the shame that I dealt with and I, I was snotting and crying and sweating and spitting like all the liquids were coming out of my face. And, 
I looked up after I was done expecting judgment because who couldn't judge me after that? But what I was met with instead were these grown men specifically who I was so afraid of weeping with me. And it was such a beautiful and sweet picture of the body of Christ that night. They were the arms of Jesus for me. The amount of grace they showed me that night truly changed the trajectory of my life. It was the moment where I started seeking recovery and finding healing, started processing through my wounds and hurts. To let my shame be known, to tell my whole truth, was such a freeing experience for me. You know, when I was thinking about this idea of of Jesus leaving a path of restored creation and what that means to live in the wake of that. And, and these, the idea of these tassels kept coming to mind and all that they represent. Um, that Jesus is close, that he is always within reach, that he is faithful and he is good, that he wants our hearts and he wants to hear our whole truth and restore us to the identity of daughter and son and that because of that, we can now extend the, that dignity to other people. It also means that we allow our schedules to be interrupted um, in order for the hurt and broken to be seen and heard. So there's two sides at play. There's our own vulnerability and acknowledging the vulnerability of others and allowing space for that. So I guess as the worship team comes back up, um, it was a bit of a shorter lesson today. Um, man. I, vulnerability is something that is lacking in our culture today. Um, there's this, just a, almost a, like you have to wear the mask, you have to, be someone you're not in order to be loved and valued. And, and the kingdom of God is not supposed to be that way. The kingdom of God is different. So as you, as you come up and take communion, um, who's doing communion today? Come on up. Um, as you come up, as the worship team plays, um, Take the cup, take the cracker, hold it, sit close, sit together, um, and we'll all take it together at the end.